Thank you, Jeff. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning, all those who are visiting with us. Um, There is a a story that is told, um, at least I hope it's a story and uh, not true. Um, Hopefully it's merely a a parable. But um, the story is of a little country church. Uh, which had one of those creeping ivy plants. We have those over at our house. They're obnoxious, especially when they start building or growing up on the house. But that's what this vine was doing. It had started growing up the side of the, of the building, up over the, the porch doorway. But over the doorway was a sign that had the text on it, We Preach Christ Crucified. And so as the years went by, the plant continued to grow, and a branch steadily Uh, spread over the doorway. And so that sign started to get covered up by the branch. And the first word that got covered up was crucified. And so then the church, or then the sign just said, we preach Christ. And then as the years go by, it continued to grow. And we might think that it's unfortunate that the crucified part uh, was covered up. Um, But the essential part of our faith is still there, right? There's still Christ. We still preach Christ. But as the years continued on, the branch covered up Christ. And so the sign just read, we preach. And so no longer did the sign indicate that the church was a place in which Christ crucified was preached, but it was merely just a place to talk. That's not what we are supposed to do. I'm not up here just to talk. We as individual Christians, as followers of Christ, teachers and preachers in our own ways, in our workplaces, in schools, etc., we just don't talk. We talk about Christ and Him crucified. Now it's important to note that there were several problems that were going on in the Corinthian church. And that's why Paul really wrote this letter. Now if you look at the first um, several verses of this, of course, as Paul greets and gives thanks for this church there in in Corinth. Uh, In in verses 10 through 13, he talks about some of the issues that were going on. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? You see, there were divisions going on in the church. There were many who were following the teachings of one person, or saying that, you know, wherever Apollos goes, I'll follow him, or wherever Paul goes, I'll follow him. But it's not about the deliverer of the message. Oftentimes, I've heard several times of churches and splits that occur or people who leave a church because a preacher is either let go or a preacher leaves to follow a a different path or maybe to go uh, preach somewhere else. People say, well, I, I just don't like this new preacher because he doesn't have the same style as the guy before. We were talking this morning about how nice it is to have a guest preacher in sometimes so you don't have to listen to me drone on for every week of the year. But are we listening to the message rather than the delivery? Because the message is to be Christ and Him crucified. Now today we face many issues over which people disagree. Moral issues, 
related to what is good or evil or, or doctrinal issues, uh, related to what is right and wrong. It's not uncommon to hear people appeal to certain authorities when they talk about these things. There are those who are considered experts in the area of science, philosophy, and even religion who share the results of their experiments, their research, or their careful, prayerful thinking and and thoughts. And many place their faith in such authorities, especially in the realm of uh, morality and spiritual truth. But we have to ask, is that a wise thing to do? Is it wise to put our faith in a man who says that he prayerfully thought through this thing and this is the, this is the conclusion that I've come to, separate from God's word, this is what I was led to and I had to have been led there by the Spirit. Is it smart, is it wise to trust in things that go against God's word? You see... It seems like that's what's happening in Corinth. There are divisions among them. And as we go through the letter of Corinthians, you will see that there are people, specific people within the church, that are causing divisions, that are causing these fur, furors. Is that right? Yeah, whatever. I'm trying to find words, synonyms, to say the same thing that I already said. I should stop doing that. Sermons would be a lot shorter. Um, too many people laughed at that. Uh, so what Paul is doing is getting them back to the foundation. And it's important for us to do that too. You know, getting back to the basics of what we do and why are fundamental in correcting church problems. And we don't preach, I don't preach, to react to problems, right? We're supposed to preach to prevent. We're supposed to teach the Word of God in order to prevent problems from happening in the church. So if we can refocus our attention and our energy and commitment on Christ crucified, then we would be a lot better as a result with fewer issues. And I'm not just talking about just in the church, but is in, our, in, our, you know, in the world as well. It is the wisdom of God and His Word that we must turn to as the only authority. Because the heart of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 1 is the fact that God has made foolish the wisdom of the wise. And we should not boast in man, but in the Lord. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And so we're going to begin, if you're in 1 Corinthians, look at verse 18. And we're going to look at God's work in making foolish the wisdom of those who believe they are wise. Verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's consider the message of the cross. Right? Paul says that it, is, uh, that it is the word of the cross, the message of the cross, that is foolish to the wise. And we're talking about the idea of a crucified Savior, someone who was perfect, who was sent for the purpose of dying on the cross. Paul says to those who are perishing it is foolishness, and to those being saved it is the power of God. Have you ever stopped and thought about the fact that when you thank God for sending His Son, you're thanking Him for dying a cruel and torturous death so that you could be forgiven of your sinful choices. Have you ever thought about that? Just the other night I was saying prayers with Riley and I said the words, Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross, take away our sins. 
And I'm saying that with a 20-month-old boy who has no idea really what I'm saying. But then I thought about it, and I thought, why am I thanking him for killing someone because of my bad choices? You see, that, that is the point of this. The message of the cross is foolishness if you try to think about it in human terms. Because that's the wisdom of man. Man cannot fully comprehend without the word of God why God would do something like that for us. And that's why it is foolishness to those who, who are perishing, because they don't understand why anyone would do that, let alone an omnipotent creator who has the power to create the world. Why would he need to send somebody else to live a life as a human, to not sin, and then to be punished and killed when the creator could just say, it's forgiven? It seems foolishness. But you see, the foolishness of the message is by design. God put it there for a reason. God God did all of this for a purpose. God proclaimed that he would destroy the wisdom of the wise. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. Why? Because the world, in its own wisdom, rejects God. Look at the next verses here in 1 Corinthians, verses 19 through 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The folly of those who are wise is because they think they're smarter than God. They think that they have more wisdom in whatever they've studied and whatever they've prayed about than what God has prescribed. And we see this in the idolatry of Paul's day. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. You can flip over there, you can listen, but keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We talked about this several weeks ago when we studied through Romans and and read through Romans. The Romans and the Greeks alike created man-made images in order to worship them for the things that they perceived in the world. They saw lightning and thought, wow, there must be a power creating that lightning that's not man, and so we need to create something to worship because of that lightning. Thor, not the Marvel Thor, but the other guy who's really Thor. Bad joke, sorry. You have 
all of these Greek and Roman gods that were created to represent different aspects of God. And God says, all of that, all of me has been clearly perceived in what I have done and what I have created in the world. But yet man does not worship me. Man worships everything that they want to worship because they think they're smarter than me. And we see it today, too. We see it in theories like evolutionism, humanism, and the, pro- the promotion of, of sinful lifestyles. Because man thinks that they're smarter than God. And even religious, so-called religious authorities that exist today that have been created by man, mind you, that stand by and support some of these things. So God chose to save man through a message that seems foolish. Look at the next three verses over in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 through 25. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the, uh, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the Jews were seeking signs. Even while Jesus was on earth, they asked Jesus to show them signs to prove that he was the Messiah. And afterward, it took signs to get some 3,000 Jews to believe on the day of Pentecost. It took the Holy Spirit coming on the the apostles, speaking in tongues for them to realize, oops, we just killed the Messiah. What then shall we do, brothers? The Greeks seek after wisdom. When we look at the the letters and the the words that are are, uh, written mainly to Greek audience, like the the Gospel of Luke, we see the focus on wisdom. We see the focus on knowledge and obtaining as much evidence and information around a situation. That's why Luke is so long, and that's why Luke really goes into a lot of detail into some of the things that he writes about. But for those who accept the call of the message of Christ crucified, there is both power and wisdom. Because in a message that seems foolish, it says, for the Jews it is a stumbling block, How in the world could our mighty leader, our Messiah, the promised king, be killed as a criminal? That's why it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's folly. Your mighty savior, your mighty king was crucified and killed like a criminal? That's shameful. That's not something to go around and celebrate once a week by sharing a meal. Paul says, for God's foolishness is wiser than men, and his weakness is stronger than man. This does not mean God has weakness, mind you. Right? That's not what this is saying. Paul puts this thought into human terms so that man can kind of understand this. See, men compare themselves on a strength scale, especially the Greeks. Right? You have the Olympics. The whole purpose of the Olympics is to show who the strongest, who the best athlete is. 
And even today, there are, there are these masculinity competitions, whether they're the world's strongest men competitions that I used to watch as a kid on ESPN, or today the, little, the small little battles that happen just in workplaces or in schools. I can remember going to school and all the jocks, all the guys who played the sports and everything, those were the guys who were the cool guys, right? Because they were athletic, they were the menly men. And if you were in band or if you were in speech and debate or if you were in you know, all these other nerdy things, you weren't as manly as somebody else. By the way, men, we're having a Bible study every first Saturday of the month talking about biblical manliness and what that means. You see, what man considers strength is nothing compared to God. What man considers strong is weak in comparison with God. That is the weakness that Paul talks about. And all of that goes against the wisdom of man. And that's by design. And so Paul says, not many wise, powerful, and noble are called. He says that in verse 26 there. He says, for for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So there were not many people who were wise according to what the world calls wise. There were not many who were powerful or noble who responded to the call of the gospel. And the same is true today. Those who are receptive to the gospel are usually not the wise by worldly standards, not usually the powerful by worldly standards, and not usually the noble as defined by the world. I said usually. It happens. Again, this is part of God's design to shame the arrogant wisdom and might of those who reject God. Otherwise, as Paul continues, and we'll read here in verses 27 through 29, otherwise, the mighty and the wise would have excuse and would then boast of themselves in the presence of God. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Not only is the message of the cross foolishness in the the standards of of the the wisdom of the the wise here on earth, but that explanation that Paul just put, put there, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not to bring nothing, uh, bring to nothing things that are. Think about Jesus. Jesus came from Nazareth. Jesus took on a lowly birth in a stable or in a manger. He left the glory of heaven and took on poverty. How could a king, and this was his big, again, this is the stumbling block of the Jews, and what many of his disciples struggled with as well, how can this mighty king, this mighty Messiah, be born in Bethlehem, in the cellar or the, the, you know, the bottom floor of a home or in a, an outdoor shed, how can that be our king? How can, how can our king be this carpenter's son, the people of Nazareth? 
How can that be? That's foolish. Now today I think of some of the incredible minds, but arrogantly foolish in their perceived wisdom, who reject and even defame God and His very existence. People like Stephen Hawking, or Darwin, or Bill Nye the science guy. I could go on with that list. But these are men who put more faith in their obtained knowledge and their theories and arrogantly proclaimed or proclaim, there is no God. Because this is what I've studied. This is my wisdom that is determining my belief. And the point of the message of Christ crucified is to put shame put to shame their arrogance, and it will all come to a head on Judgment Day because they will find out who is truly wise and who is truly foolish. And this should make us cautious about anything based solely on the wisdom or the strength of man. And that's why we preach against the traditions of man because they are dangerous and they don't come from God. And thus, we should boast in the Lord And not man. For in a crucified, risen Savior, there is to be found several things. And the first of which Paul details in verse 30, that there can be found wisdom from God. He says, And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Christ are hidden all the treasures and all the wisdom and knowledge. That's what Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 2, verse 3. He talks there about righteousness and sanctification being found in a crucified and risen Savior. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7-11. through 11. Paul again writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. By the way, the word there means dung. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Righteousness and sanctification is found in a crucified and risen Savior. And last but certainly not least, Paul says that there is redemption from sin. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7-10. through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Because we are in Christ and we have been redeemed from from sin, we have been sanctified, we have been set apart, We should avoid the things of this world, the sinful desires of the flesh. And because of these things, because there is 
wisdom. There is righteousness and sanctification and redemption found in Jesus, a crucified and risen Savior. Because of this, we should boast in the Lord. Paul says, uh, as it is written, it says in verse 31, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word used for boast there means to glory, uh, or to, uh, which means to honor or hold in high esteem. We hold God in that esteem, not because of our own wisdom or not in our own wisdom, uh, not because of our own might, not because of our own riches, but because of God. And that's what is detailed in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 24. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God delights in steadfast love and justice and righteousness. And those are the things that are found in the cross. Paul provides for us an example in his life and in his writings of this practice and of this, of this philosophy of boasting in the Lord. He had plenty of reasons to boast in himself. We're going to look at some of them. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But then he goes on and says, it doesn't matter because I was wrong Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through, seven, uh, yeah, 4 through 7 says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. And then he goes on and, and says what we read earlier in 7 through 11 that he counts all those things as rubbish. None of that matters. None of the things that we accomplish and gain in this world matters except for accepting the message of Christ crucified. And this is why. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, that his boast was in the cross of Christ, not in, a, not in of himself. So the question this morning that I want you to ask of yourself as you examine uh, the word that we have uh, read and, and studied this morning, what do you boast? In what do you boast? I almost ended with the preposition, but I didn't. You may think that you are wise, that you're strong or self-sufficient because of your wealth. You may think that you may think uh, others are, are worthy to guide you in matters of truth and morality. You may think that I am a person who is worthy to guide you in matters of truth and morality. 
Don't think that. It is the word of God that needs to be our authority. It is his word that needs to be our guide. And if I ever stand up here and I preach something contrary to what the word is, I fully expect and hope that our elders and our leaders will stand up and kick me out the door. Because it is not me, but it is Christ. Unless it is ultimately God and His Word who guides us, it is folly. So every time that we read or we hear of someone, some expert or or worldly deemed authority, that they give their learned opinion related to faith or truth that's found in Scripture, or some poll where the majority expresses their belief. I saw a poll a couple of weeks ago that there is a growing number of Christians who claim to be Christians that support same-sex marriage, support abortion, etc. The number is growing. The percentage is growing. But does that mean that the Word of God has changed? Does that mean that those things are acceptable? Of course not. Because God doesn't change. And whatever may seem wise in in the eyes of man, remember, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. The psalmist says, what may seem right in the eyes of man is death. The only true and ultimate source of wisdom is from the Lord Himself. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him you are complete, Paul says in in, uh, Colossians chapter 2. And so Paul warns in verse 8 of Colossians 2, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Folks, this happens in the world and it happens in the church. It happens throughout the denominational world and it happens within the church of Christ. And we have to put ourselves on guard. We have to prepare ourselves and we must study His Word fervently to know the truth and how to respond when error presents itself. But in the terms, or in the, in the, in the focus of our lesson this morning, the message of the cross and Christ crucified, are you willing to place your trust your life and your eternal security on a message that some say is foolish? Are you willing to do those things to obey? Or are you more willing to do so and put your faith in the hands of mere men? I don't say these things. I don't invite people to the front at the end of sermons because it's tradition. It may come off as rambly. It may come off as robotic sometimes. But the invitation is there for those who need it, who need to answer the call, who need to answer to the message of Christ and obey and believe and be washed in the waters of baptism. That's not me saying those things. That's God saying those things in His Word. Mark 16, 16. Whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
Those are Jesus' words, not my words. Those are Jesus' words. And how much better it is to trust in the words and the wisdom of our Creator and our Redeemer. And so this morning, if we can assist you in any way, be it through baptism, or if you have any other need that we can assist you with in your life, be it through prayer, through study, or guidance, we're here to help you and we want you to come forward and let us know your requests. You can do so as we stand and sing.